Today is not about me. It, it's about our Lord and Savior. And it's about what he does in the life of people that will, if they'll humble themselves and they'll receive his gift of forgiveness and relationship with him. I'd like to just look at, show three quick scripture verses. I've got four, but uh, the other one I'll just read. Um, the first one is and it says, for he was looking forward to a city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. And the second one is Hebrews 4.12. And it says, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and the spirit of joints and of marrow, and the discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And this is one that's not up there. And it is Matthew 4, verse 4. It says, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And the last one uh, is 1 Corinthians 3.11. It says, For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. I'm re retired pretty much now, but I worked in the construction business all my life. For, well, for the last 40 years, I drove a ready-mix truck. All construction is, uh, starts out with a foundation. But before anything gets built, and, and many of you have probably built new houses and so forth, the first thing you do is you get a builder and a designer. And then he draws up a blueprint. And then at the beginning of that, you, you have to lay a foundation to build that on. So my story of, is kind of in line with that. I'll divide it up into from birth to 13, what kind of foundation was put onto my life. And then from 13 to 35, how I built on what foundation was put onto my life and then from 35 up till now. So I'll divide it up into those three parts. I grew up in a, in a family with six kids, uh, two older brothers, one younger brother, um, and two younger sisters who were eight and nine years younger than I were. And we lived at that time down in Texas on the south side of Dallas. And we went to a Catholic church and for the first three years of elementary school, I, I was in a Catholic school and learned all the learned a lot about the Bible and and God and everything. And uh, I was baptized as a baby and did my first communion and confirmation and all those traditional things in the Catholic Church, which which were all good. But I I never understood the gospel. Uh, we went to church every Sunday, but when we were at home there was never any anything uh, no biblical teaching at home no reading of the bible and, and none of that and and during those years those elementary school years that my dad was a pretty rough character he was a military guy he was a golden glove boxer in the military and he drank a lot 
And he was physically abusive with my mom, not so much with us kids, but with my mom. And I remember those times when he would start screaming and the fighting would start that us kids would run out of the house. And I remember I always used to run and run out and I'd run underneath the bushes alongside the house, the shrubbery. And uh, I would just curl up in a little ball. I was in the third and fourth grade at that time. And, and I would say, God, you know, you've got to do something like that about all this. If you, if you really love me and you really love our family, then you, you need to stop this. Somehow stop it. And so that, that continued throughout those years. It, it, it didn't get better. Um, and then you might say, well, why didn't somebody call the police? Well, we were too afraid to. Our kids were small, and we didn't know that. And, and I think, you know, everybody was afraid to do anything about it or what might happen. And uh, so eventually, in, uh, when I reached 13 years old, in the sixth grade, we had moved up here to Ohio. I'm originally from Ohio. I was born in Lima and uh, went to Antwerp school. But when I was 13, uh, well, it was about 11, we moved back up here from Texas, and we lived out on Old 24 by Cecil, Ohio. The abuse continued. You know, I'd go to school, and I was always fearful about going home because I never knew what I was going to walk into. And my dad worked a 4 to 12 shift at General Portland, uh, Lafarge over there, so a lot of times he was already left for work. And so I was glad because I didn't want to be around him. My dad wasn't the kind of loving, nurturing person. He, he was somebody I was scared of. My home wasn't a place of safety and security and a refuge from the world after school. It was a place of, I'd, I'd rather not go. Uh, I reached uh, 13 years old, and um, I remember my mom was getting to be to the point of uh, very emotionally disturbed and wrecked. She had a hard time coping and raising kids. My oldest brother had went into the military chaos. And my next oldest brother, he had went into the military also as soon as he graduated. And that was in 1971. I was in school one day, and uh, the principal came and got me out of class, told the teacher, you know, I'm taking Ron with me. And I went out there in the... In the uh, hallway and my younger brother was there and we kind of looked at each other like what's going on and so he took us down and put it in his car and he headed out toward our house also I wanted to mention my mother was an epileptic she had seizures quite often and anyway um, we got home and when we were getting close to the house we could see there were as a fire truck there and the firemen were out spraying water all over the highway and I didn't see any cars there. there you know, I, I knew something had happened right in front of the house. I knew something had happened, but it, it didn't make sense. The only thing that was there was a semi-truck parked down the road about a quarter of a mile, and there was a lot of police. And uh, our principal just let us out of the car, and then he left, and we walked into the house, and there was my dad surrounded by police officers. 
And he just looked at me with a real angry voice and said, your mother's dead. And what had happened was this, she got hit by that semi-truck walking across to the mailbox. And, um, and I remember thinking, this isn't what I asked for, God. You know, I didn't, I didn't want this. This, you know, it, could have, it should have been my dad. If you're going to take somebody out of the picture... My dad was the one that was creating all the problems here. And I remember being really angry and just really angry at him. And uh, so I just made up my mind right then and there that uh, you don't really love me and I, I don't really need you. And I, that was my attitude. And I remember the next day people were bringing food and all this stuff was going on and I remember walking out to the end of the driveway and I was standing there looking at the road and the grass still had this reddish tint to it and I remember looking down in the grass and I know this sounds strange but I could see a piece of bone that was laying down in the grass I knew what it was it was real bright white and I picked it up and it was a piece of a one of the joints off my mom because it was real smooth on one side and it was broken and it was real rough on the other I held it in my hand and I thought, wow, this is all that's left of the most important thing that ever mattered in my life. And I remember I stuck it in my pocket and I used to carry it everywhere I went. I don't ever know whatever happened to it. But uh, so I could never ask my dad for anything and I needed money, you know, and, and stuff because I wanted to, to do things. So I went down to the farmer down the road and got a job at 13 years old and started farming and I would come home after school and my two older brothers were gone all the time well one was in the military and the other one was getting ready to go in but he was always hanging out with his friends that were at driving age so I would come home and I had two sisters that were three and four years old that I had to take care of so I began I was basically an adult at 13 years old I'd come home and wash clothes and I would uh, cook meals and, and get them taken care of and tell my younger brother, he was a year and a half younger at that time, so he was 11 and a half, he would have to take care of the girls. And I went down and farmed till about dark and then come home and that lasted two or three years. And then my dad eventually met someone else, which helped out a lot. But that was basically the, the foundation. How I came away with that was I knew about God. I followed the traditions in the, in the Catholic Church and did all the right things. And I thought, you know, I heard that Jesus had died for my sins. And I thought, well, they're okay. My sins are forgiven. And uh, that I would be all right if something ever happened to me if I died. And I didn't see any point in reading the Bible since everything was good between me and God. That was kind of my viewpoint, you know. That was my, that was my foundation that was built under me as a child. As I grew up, I built on that foundation, which was really no foundation at all. And so I just went living life doing what was right in my own eyes. I didn't live by any biblical moral principles as far as you know sexual activity or anything and I got involved in a lot of the wrong stuff with the wrong people 
and just started living life for myself. And then I met my first wife and had my first two children, Casey and Aaron. And that marriage lasted a whopping four years. And it all went haywire. And I did not want to get divorced. I did everything I could to try and keep that marriage together, but it just didn't work out. And I remember getting divorced and the first time I went to pick up my two oldest children for visitation that very first time I went to leave the parking lot of the apartment complex that my wife had moved into with her boyfriend and and I they jumped in the car in the back seat and I went to drive out and they were real quiet and I, I stopped the car because that wasn't like them and I said, what's wrong, guys? And they both crawled over the seat and just put their arms around me and said, we don't want you and Mom to be apart. And boy, I just felt so angry at God. I blamed him again. I said, you could have prevented all this. You know, this is all you're doing. This is my wife, my children. You know, why haven't you fixed this? Why didn't you make this better? And I got mad at God again, and my anger toward him grew. And then a year or two went by, and I, I met my wife, Jean. And we had a daughter together, Ashley, who's sitting here today. And Jean was incredible. She took to the first two kids like they were her own children. And, uh, and then I had Ashley with Jean, and everything seemed to be going okay. And uh, I was living in Bryan, Ohio at the time. And I noticed some of the things started going haywire in my second marriage. With Jean, some of the same things were starting to happen. And I started getting worried. And I could see it starting to deteriorate. And I, I was hounding her and wanting to spend more time and trying to fix things. And the more I tried to fix it, the worse it got, the more I pushed her away. And, until finally it came to the point to where it, it got so bad, she said, I, I, I'm going to leave. And I'm going to go up to my mom and dad's house, which she was from Michigan. She goes, I just need to get away for a while. I don't know how long. And I was just beside myself. So she left, and she took Ashley with her. And they went up there to her mom and dad's. And for weeks, for three weeks, I was just... I, I was just beside myself, and I, I called her constantly, and the more I tried, the worse it got. And I just got so mad at God. I said, you could have stopped this. You could have helped me. You could have done this. See, you don't love me in the anger and the rage I felt, not just from that marriage, but from the previous marriage and from my, from my childhood. I didn't realize it, but my heart had gotten so hard and so angry toward not just God, but toward everybody. I had served mass at my mom's funeral. I was an altar boy. And I remember sitting at the back of the church behind the priest, looking at my mom's coffin as he was doing the eulogy at that time. And, and I looked out at all the people and I thought, you people could have, somebody should have known what was going on at home and they should have done something about it. Well, I don't know if they knew, but that was a 13-year-old kid, you know, thinking. And I just remember being mad at all of them, too, you know. <laughs> and so now my second marriage had collapsed. 
There's a proverb in the Bible, and I, I don't remember which one, but I remember reading it after I got saved, and it said, a man's own folly brings destruction, yet his heart rages against the Lord. That was me. So now, I felt like all my house, my life was collapsing. I just felt like there was no point in going on anymore because it seemed like I just felt completely alone. I didn't have the love that my heart was searching for. I never got the love and nurturing at home. My dad never said he loved me. I don't ever remember my dad saying that. My mom loved me. I know that. But she was so hurt and so broken. There was so many times I came home from school and she had been beat up really bad and bleeding and bruised and laying on the couch crying and I would sit with her and she'd put her arms around me and she'd say, I just wish somebody would kill me. I can't take it anymore. That was my home life. And it wasn't every single night. You know, there were times when things seemed to be going okay, but those tragic times kind of overrode everything else. And so now I got serious with God. I finally come to the point of humbling myself. And I said, okay, God, I give up. I can't do this anymore. Now I'm at 35 years old. I went from 13 to 35 all those years. And I said, I don't want to do this alone anymore. I can't do this. I don't want to live life anymore without you. I need you to show me. I know there's something I'm missing. There's got to be more to life than being born growing up, getting a job, having a family, making a career, and then dying. I, I knew in my heart there was something more to that, but I, I never knew what it was. I knew there was something that I, I, I needed and I wanted, but I didn't know what it was. And I didn't know where to go to find those answers. And so I just sat there in the living room of my house, three weeks into the separation with my second wife, and I had lost a lot of weight because I hadn't been eaten. I was like a walking zombie. And I hadn't eaten anything. So I just sat there and I said, God, if you, if you don't show me what it is that's going on and why everything's like this, I said, I, I, I don't know where to go. And there's no hope of me to look forward to anything in life anymore. I wasn't suicidal. But I just said, I don't have any hope. What, what is there to look forward to? What's in life? And... And I said, I just, I demanded that he show me what it was. And I mean, and I guess it was a supernatural thing because it was like he, the thought just hit my mind and heart. Remember back when you were 13 and you said you needed, you didn't need me anymore? And, and that thought hit me and I remember, and I look back at all those years from that time all the way up to that point at 35. And I didn't, I didn't ever ask God for anything. I never talked to him anymore. I never, never wanted anything to do with him. I didn't realize how hard my heart had gotten toward him. And, uh, and, then, and then he showed me, he says, you're reaping what you've sown. You want a life without me, and this is what it looks like. And then it was like my mind went from talking to God, which I had always done, 
to now I felt almost like the presence of Christ was there and I could see his purity and his holiness and boy next to him because I always thought I was a pretty good person and I always did my best and worked hard and tried to follow the Ten Commandments which I never did but it was like for the first time now I felt like I needed to talk to Jesus and I could see my sin for the first time God allowed me to see that I was not good and I just felt miserable and I, I simply repented. I didn't know that's what I was doing at the time. I said, oh, and this time now, instead of talking to God, I talked to Jesus. And I said, I can see that the way I've lived my life apart from you and because of the choices I've made that went against you and your word. And I, I just said, I, I don't want to live another day without you in control. I, I, I don't want to be in control anymore. I give up. And I want, I want forgiveness for my sin. And I, want, I don't want to go through another day without you. And so I went to sleep that night. Cried myself to sleep like I did every other night for the last three weeks. And uh, the next morning I got up. And I went downstairs and I started to pack a lunch for work. And... I stopped and I thought, I haven't packed a lunch for work in three weeks ever since my wife left. And now I felt hungry. I hadn't felt hungry at all. And so I thought, well, I guess I'm just getting used to the idea of being divorced again. And I kind of blew it off and packed my lunch and then I walked outside and, and it was a nice day outside. The sun was shining and I stopped and I felt the sun on my face and I closed my eyes and I thought, God, that feels good. And I was in this kind of joyous mood and I thought, what is wrong with me? What's going on this morning? And I, I didn't think much about it. And then I got in my car and I was driving to work and I was working in Bryan. I was living out here where I'm at now. And it was about a 15-minute 15, 15 drive to work. And as I was driving to work, I just felt this joyous uh, feeling and mood and I thought what is wrong with me I'm, my circumstances haven't changed but something's different and I felt this lightness and I don't know how to describe it I, it, was, it was so physically I guess motivating that I looked outside to see if my car was floating in the air and then I thought, oh, I'm losing my mind, you know, with all the stress and all the hassle, I, I need to go see a counselor. And then I got a little closer to work, and I thought, I asked Jesus to come into my life. And then I started thinking about being born again. And I thought, is that, is that what happened to me? And uh, so I, I thought, I've heard that term before. But I didn't, I didn't know for sure. And I thought, that's what's happening. I wonder if that's in the Bible. And I had this sudden desire, I have to get home after work today. I have to get in that book and I have to start seeing what's going on. So I, at work, I was, I was just, had this big smile on my face and guys were saying, what is the matter with you? What's so funny? And I, I just couldn't wait to get home. So I, I left work. And I, I, I went home 
And the first thing I did was I ran in the house. I got, I got to call my wife. I got to tell her I know what's been missing in our lives. I, I know. And so I called her and I talked to her about I've been born again and I was telling her all this stuff that we've been living our lives without, you know, God. We've been living without the Bible. You know, we've been living out without Christ. And, and he had all the answers and I just dumped all this stuff on her and I didn't realize how probably stupid it sounded to her. And she just hung up the phone. And <laughs> I realized right then that wasn't the thing I should have done. So I went into the living room and we had one of those big old King James Bibles on the, I don't even know where it came from. And this is what I did. I just opened it and I just put my finger on it. And this was the first verse I read in my life. I had, re I, had, I had realized that I had built my life on the sand instead of the rock and my, ho my house had collapsed. And, and this is Jesus talking, Matthew 7, 24 and 27. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. Both men had storms in their lives, but ones didn't stand and the other ones did when the storm came. And then I just opened, I just flipped again and I put my finger back on there again. It, it went to a Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 and 29. And I don't know if that was on there or not. Yeah, it says, come to, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. And then I realized that's what I had done last night in my living room. I had asked him to come in. And what that light feeling I felt going to work was him taking all that anger and hurt and pain from all those years from both marriages and he was taking it off and he was putting his yoke on that was light and easy. And that, that was that sensational feeling I was feeling. And then I started reading the book of John. And then I started reading about where... Jesus met with one of the religious leaders in John chapter 3, verses 1 through 21. And I don't think we have that. But uh, it's about where he talks to Nicodemus about being born again. And he said, unless you're born again, you will never see the kingdom of God. And then he says, I'll tell you again, unless you're born again, you will never enter into it. And I don't think he was necessarily talking about life after death. He was talking about the here and now. Because now I knew... I knew God. I just didn't know about him. And now I had this desire to read his word. And I wanted to start sharing with people the gospel about, you know, about repentance and asking Christ to come in and letting him be in control of your life and experiencing all that he has to say. And as I read through the book of John, I read about being born again. And I thought, that's exactly what happened to me. And then I started reading about uh, the, um, the claims I got into as I went through the book of John, one of my favorite books. 
all the claims of Jesus came and says, I am the bread of life, I am the living water, I am the light of world, I am the gate, I am the good shepherd, I am the giver of eternal life, I am the resurrection, I am the way, the truth, and the life, I am the true vine, I am God in human form. He says, I have come to give you life and give it to you more abundantly, which includes help, direction, meaning, purpose, unconditional love, forgiveness, eternal life, affirmation, healing from brokenness, help through this troubled world. All that was available to me all those years, and I didn't know I, I had it, but I had to ask for it. And uh, so now my, I kept thinking, what is going wrong with me? My life is changing all in one day, all this stuff. And I remember the next thing I did was run out to the cemetery where my mom was buried. And I remember sitting down at her grave and I just cried. And I thought about her life and all that she went through. I thought about my dad and her marriage and how messed up it was. And I just cried. And I didn't realize it at the time until I got home after that, that that was the first time I've ever grieved for my mom's death. I had never cried. I had held all that hurt and pain in. And I just sat there and cried. And then I thought about my dad, and I stopped being angry at him, and I, I was able to forgive him right there at the cemetery because I realized whatever he saw in his life as a kid growing up, and he, he never knew Christ. My mom and dad never talked about salvation or being saved or any of that. And I realized that he was probably this kid that whatever he saw in his life, whatever he grew up with, whatever struggles he had, he just became angry, just like I did, and he took it out on my mom and didn't know how to handle and the alcohol and all that just played into it all. And I realized, you know, I was able to forgive him even though he never asked for my forgiveness. But that was being I understood what forgiveness was from Christ now, I was able to start forgiving others. Yeah, all that, all that was happening just hourly in my life. And I realized I started to have share the gospel with my family members. I remember going home then from the cemetery and I prayed three things to God. I said, God, now that I know you, I, I want to ask you, and I probably de deserve being divorced because you didn't help me build my marriage. But if, if you would give me a second chance at my marriage, I sure would appreciate it. And I said, I need to find a good church home. I need some people in my life that know what I know. Because I hadn't been to church in 22 years. And I prayed those three prayers. And uh, later that day, my wife called and she goes, I want a divorce. I said, okay. I said, I'll uh, contact an attorney and get things started and get back with you. And I remember just losing it over that. But I said, I probably deserve that. And uh, I guess that's the way it's going to be. And I went to bed that night and woke up the next day and was going to go get an attorney. And she calls back. She said, Ron, I want to come home. I don't know how long I'll stay. We'll take it one day at a time. And I said, okay. And she came back, and I'll never forget, Ashley jumped out of the car. She was six years old, and she jumped up in my arms. 
And I said, thank you, Lord. And me and my wife had 30 more great, fantastic years together, better than ever. And no marriage is perfect, but boy, it sure was better doing it God's way than it was mine. She was there, and, and uh, I said, I'm going to be going to church, and I don't know where, but I want to go, and I want to get Ashley in church. And she said, well, there's a little church, a Methodist church over here in Mark Center. And I said, okay, let's go there, and if it's not what the Bible's teaching, then I'll, I'll, I won't go there anymore. I remember walking in there, and we were walked in right when they were starting the first song, and it was Zelda Zimmerman and her husband were at that church. He was the pastor. First song that I heard now that I was saved was Amazing Grace. And boy, I knew what that song meant for the first time and how good it was. I'd heard it a lot of times before, but it didn't have any meaning. But that morning it had a lot of meaning. But anyway... I guess I learned one thing being in the construction business and uh, building a life without God. God is the designer and builder of all life. And this book is his blueprint. And the foundation that he calls all of us to build on is the foundation of Jesus Christ. Because that's who he has put between us and him is his son. And if you don't think God doesn't love you, and you might think, well, you know, I've, I've made it through life pretty well, and I've never been born again. And, and I've, I've handled some pretty hard stuff. Uh, I'm going to tell you right now, you might make it all the way through this life through the good times or the bad, but you'll never experience the fullness of the love and the power and the help that God offers unless you know his son and are reconnected with him. And if you don't think God loves you, just take a look at that cross. That says it all. It only comes through repentance and humbling yourself and asking him to come in and take over and that was the hard part for me because I had always taken care of myself and I was proud of that. But the, one of the hardest things I have ever done of all that I lived through was that day that I humbled myself and bowed the knee to him. That was hard. Because I wanted to be in control. It was my life. And I remember always telling him through each one of those tragic events, it's my life, it's my family, it's my kids, it's me, me, me. Why are you doing this? But boy, now that I was saved... It changed my whole perspective on everything. Suddenly I realized that everything I had in my life was a gift. My children were a gift. My wife was a gift. My job was a gift. My money was a gift. Everything. And so everything had changed, you know. Inviting Christ in changed my whole perspective. Even my very life, I remember sitting in my living room that next day that I was saved. I, I remember looking at my hands like my very body is a gift from him. It doesn't even belong to me. He's just given me a body. My life doesn't belong to me. I wouldn't even exist if he didn't put me here as a gift on this earth to live and to serve him. And so it, it, everything changed. You know, now I had the desire to read his word, 
to share the gospel with people. To, uh, I knew I had this peace that I had never had before. I knew where I was going when I died. I didn't have this wishful thinking. And I knew that repenting and, and asking him to come in, I knew that's what saved me. I knew being born again. I, I started understanding and reading all this stuff in the Bible then that I had never read. Uh, read. And I knew that's what saved me. It wasn't being baptized as a baby. It wasn't following traditions or trying to be a good person or, or following the Ten Commandments, which no one can do perfectly. I knew it was just simply bowing the knee to Christ and, and letting him take over. And so that's pretty much um, the way it was. And uh, I just want to fast forward to, you know, and I don't mean to end on a difficult note, especially for my daughter here, but fast forward um, to January 26th of 2022. Um, my wife walked out of the bathroom after getting ready for work. She was a custom cabinet designer at Dutch Made right up here in Harlan. And uh, she walked out and she always got dressed up to kill. She came out and I remember I was off work that day. They gave me a choice whether to go in. It was kind of slow and I said, well, I'll stay home. And she came out and she stood in front of me and she goes, how do I look? And I said, baby, you look fantastic. And I gave her a hug and I gave her a kiss and I said, be careful driving to work. And off she went and that was the last day I ever saw her. She was, her life was taken by a drunk driver up here on 37 on her way home from work that day. And now that was another tragedy instead of this time and getting mad at God and being angry at him. I said, of course, I was beside myself. It was a horrible thing and it's still very difficult for me to even talk about. But this time I said, thank you, Lord, for all the years I had with her for bringing that wonderful person in to care for me and my children and loving us. She had four sisters and two brothers and my daughter and her two stepchildren. And I said, why? You know, why her? Why now? Why my daughter's best friend and mother? Why, my, why I have 10 grandchildren? I got married real young when I was 19, so I have some grandchildren that are uh, uh, Two of them are already away from home and on their own, and the other ones are getting ready to be that way. And uh, I asked why a million times, why now, why her, and uh, why me? But this time I grab a hold of him with both hands and say, take me through the valley and help me, because that's what he's there for, you know, is to help us through this messed up world. So I guess I'll just um, leave you with a few questions. Uh, the foundation of, what foundation are you building on? Is the foundation of sand or foundation of rock, which is Christ? Because there's only two foundation, God says, that there's to build on. And do you have a builder and designer who is the God of the Bible? Are you following the blueprint? And is Christ the foundation that you're building on? And I think children's ministries are so important because the most important thing, like me, when I was a kid, I learned religious stuff, but I didn't have the foundation of Christ. 
And religion is good if it's talking and if it's leading people to that point of conversion with Christ. Um, because those kids within the 18 years that you raise them are going to be pushed out into the world. And the world is a rough, hard place. And there's a lot going on. And I know a lot of you know what, it, what it's like out there in the schools the teenage suicide rates, the statistics on that, the school shootings, all those things. Kids are under a lot of pressure and a lot of difficulties. And what's going to happen, you know, to them and the worldview they're going to come out from your home is going to matter on how they build their life, like I did. And i just give you this little word picture real quick and then I'll end because it's getting way past time, but... Think about your children in those 18 years that you're building their life before they leave your home. And consider a vast ocean, say the Pacific Ocean, and you go down there with your child, put them out into that world. And if you, if, if, if you put them in a boat to sail them out across the ocean of this world, would you put them in a little wooden rowboat and push them off and say, there you go? <laughs> Be kind of foolish. Or would you picture, um, picture yourself going down to that ocean and here's this massive military battle, Navy battleship with the most sophisticated radar system that detects enemies. And it's so big that it can handle any storm and it's got so much firepower that it can overcome any enemy. Is that what you would, I would rather put my children in that, send them off into that world on that battleship. And that's what Christ is. He's a battleship that we're sailing across this world seen in. And so uh, I look back at my life and I say, why, God? Why all that turmoil when I was younger? What would my life look like if I would have had a Christian upbringing and known you when I was younger? Maybe it would have changed a lot of the decisions in my life. And I ask even why my wife now, why does she have to be gone? Why do I have to experience this? And I think, why not me? There's a lot of people in this world and, and I've learned to come to the conclusion that life is not about me. And it's not about so much as all that we've go through, but it's just making sure that whatever you go through, good or bad, that God needs to use it for his kingdom and his glory because he's building a kingdom and, and the redemptive plan of, his, of this world is moving forward. Now, just, I want to end with this little quote from Beth Bigsby, Elizabeth Bigsby. She, I got a book that I was given to. It's called Grieving Dangerously. And she, she, as I was reading through, I came to this thing. You know, we have all, I know a lot of you, I know some of the things about you, the the stories that some of you have lost spouses and, and had in my, believe me, my testimony, I've, I've heard many more difficult testimonies than mine and met a lot of people because I'm always anxious to know how people got saved. But she lost her 13-year-old son to an accidental hanging, a suicide. And then seven years later, her husband committed suicide. And she found them both. So that's that's if you understand where she was at when she wrote this book this is she wrote a little chapter called why she goes I understand that I will never understand 
I will never know why, and now there is peace in the letting go of the search. I know, that I know what I know, and I need to quietly bow my head, thank Jesus for the time I had, and let the rest of the spinning questions loft into heaven. Thanks for your time.